0: Let's take our Bible to the book of, look at the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, chapter four of Matthew. We'll read verses one through 11. Matthew chapter four, verses one through verse 11. All right, let's read verse 1. The Bible says this, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's pray together. Our Lord in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, your life here upon the earth. Thank you for the record that you've given to us in the scripture. And I pray as we study this, uh, this account of the temptation, Lord, I pray that you would help us to get more wise, to glean wisdom from your temptation that we might be better equipped to know when we are being tempted and the right way to, uh, to battle and resist the temptations that Satan brings our way. Lord, I pray that you protect each, each and every person here, myself included. I pray that you would keep us from the evil one. I pray that you would uh, protect us and lead us not into temptation. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, we commit this time to you as we look at your word. We ask that you would uh, move and teach us and help us to, to have greater wisdom. But also, Lord, help us to know more about you and who you are. Lord, we can't do anything without you. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to talk about this evening is the temptation of Christ. But there's a very specific thing I want to look at. Uh, in regards, uh, regarding the temptation of Christ. Just a few things to mention about the temptation. The the temptation is covered in uh, three of the four Gospels. And um, the three temptations, of course, there's three of them. Actually, that's not, it's not actually so that there were only three temptations. For the book of Luke says, in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, says this, that Jesus being 40 days tempted of the devil... And in those days, he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered, and then the first temptation happened. So Luke indicates that the Lord was tempted for forty days before we start reading in chapter four wow that's a that's a That's a long time to go without eating and being tempted. But of course, in Matthew, it's only covered the three main temptations, which interestingly, these temptations correspond to the devil's form of temptation, as presented to Eve in the Garden of Eden, I'll just leave that with you to kind of search out on your own. But just know, if you look at the if you look at the characteristics of the temptation that the Lord faced in Matthew four, they do correspond to the things that that the devil offered to Eve. But these three temptations here are representative of the various kinds and categories and and means and methods. Of temptation that we suffer of the devil. Because Hebrews chapter 4, if you remember, says that Christ was tempted in all points, like as we are. He was tempted in all points. Now, what's interesting in verse number 1 is how the temptation came about. The temptation came about through the Spirit of God leading. Christ into the wilderness. In other words, this was appointed of God. Now we know from the book of James that it's James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For no for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man. So this is a good example of that that although the spirit of God led the Lord Jesus into the wilderness, for the express purpose of being tempted. Well, that should give us pause. It gives me pause. It gives me pause because there are times when the Lord, just like He did with Job, subjects us to temptation. Now, the Lord doesn't tempt anyone, but He does allow us to be put in a place and gives liberty to the tempter to tempt us. That is repeated many times in the Bible. Now, that should give you and me pause because if we are honest, we are weak, weak creatures, as we'll see in a minute. That's why we pray like the Lord said to pray. What does He say in the model prayer? He said, And what? Lead us not into temptation. In that is a recognition that, hey, Lord, if you don't do something, I will fall. If you do not protect, if you do not cause me to stand, I will fall. But nevertheless, in this temptation, there was a purpose. And when the Lord allows us to be tempted, there is also a purpose. It's not done willy-nilly. There is a a plan. There is a reason. And so we got to keep that in mind. And the Lord, of course, is our example of this. Now, let's look at the temptations, number one. I'll try to go through these pretty quickly because I don't want to keep you too long. Verse two, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. I forgot something I want to mention. The Lord Jesus was tempted, apparently, face to face with the devil himself. Okay? He was speaking directly to the devil and the devil was speaking directly to him. But I want to tell you something. The devil... And any, any, any of the devils that follow him often bring temptation to us in a way that is not that obvious. Obviously, to the Lord, the Lord, there were no, there was no like, there was no facade, no pretense that the Lord did not know the source of the, the, the temptation. But to us, the devil loves to hide the source of the temptation and kind of block it so we don't really know what it's coming from. We think it's coming from a person or a set of circumstances or whatnot. But here's what what we need to understand about this. You can tell the source of the temptation based upon the, the temptation itself. You can know by what you're tempted to be or do where it comes from. This is why we have information and an account of these temptations because it helps us to identify who is behind them. And once you know that, then you're better equipped to resist them, all right? So whatever that temptation is, whatever, and, and I'll give you an, an illustration of this in just a minute, but whatever that temptation is to do, you can tell. If, it's, if, if the temptation or, or the, the prompting that you, you receive is leading you to do something evil, you know that it's not from God. Now, how do you know that? Well, the Word of God. So let's look at the temptation. So the Lord had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. This is his humanity, okay? He was really hungry. He didn't just like act like he was hungry because, you know, no. He was truly hungry. He was subject to the limitations of being a human being minus the sinful nature that we, can, we received from our father, Adam. Not me, except these few, our first father. Adam. Now, what's interesting is in verse 3, look what it says. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, I'd like to say something about that phrase, maybe another time, but that's an important, important point. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, was Jesus hungry? Was our Lord hungry? Yes, verse 2 says, He was hungry. It doesn't say that, it says hungered. He was hungry. So the devil is bringing a, a temptation into the Lord and setting it before the Lord by means of using the Lord's own nature against him. It is not sinful or, or evil to be hungry. But Jesus had fasted for quite a while, and he was definitely hungry. So here's the core temptation. For each one of these, I'm going to give you what I call the core temptation. In other words, what is the essence of what the devil is trying to do here? All right, here it is. The devil tempted the Lord to place his legitimate phys- physical appetite above his obedience to the Father, right? So the fact that Jesus was hungry was not a sin. Was, that was not a sin. So what the devil is gonna use is use that part of his, fa- not, not fallen, that, that, that'll come later. Use part of his, his the weakness of the human nature. To lure him into doing something, prompting him and and urging him to do something that was not what God wanted him to do at the time. And he uses his own physical appetites to do it. The devil used the human part of the Lord to lure him to sin. And he used a part of the Lord that wasn't sinful. Of course, nothing in the Lord was sinful. But think of us. The devil might use a, a a normal part of our life, a normal part of being human to tempt us. Things that aren't necessarily sinful, like food. You know, having money and supporting yourself and having a livelihood is not sinful. You know, the desire to have wealth and to be well in body is not sinful. The desire for companionship and and have a relationship like a husband, like a wife, like a a, a companionship in that way that might lead to marriage. That's not inherently sinful, but that is a part of the human experience. as a part of the human desires, and that's not necessarily sinful. But the devil will use that weakness, that desire that's not evil, to lure us into putting that above obedience to God. But then there's another, th- another step to this. The Lord's appetite, physical, uh, uh, appetite for food was not, was not sinful, just like we have appetites that aren't sinful. But then in addition to that, we are well aware that every one of us has appet- ha- have appetite. Every one of us has appetites that are sinful. From that Adamic, we call it the Adamic nature. Things like sexual gratification. Things like pride, things like pleasure, the desire for ease, the desire for praise, the desire for honor. These are all also part of our, of our sinful appetites. You know what the devil will do? He will use those things to draw us after sin. He uses our own nature against us. That's why you have For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are all part of our nature. The devil will use them every time. Now listen listen now. Just because we need something... You know, you think about the Lord needed the food, right? He was hungry. He felt a need. I need this. Just because the Lord needed something, just because we need something, does not mean we are permitted to violate God's word. Now, please hear it. This goes to the essence of this temptation. We sometimes use the word need kind of tricky. When we really, 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 really want something, we'll say need, but we don't need it. So we got to be careful with that word but even our needs, even, now, I'm going to say something. It's going to be a what? But I, th- th- this, this proves it. Even our food, even our need to support ourselves, our money, our food, our water, our clothing, legitimate needs, even our need for companionship, cannot and must never be put in a place above obeying the Lord. We must, as our Lord did in Matthew 4, subject even our needs to His Word. Not even our needs are above that. We say, well, well, that's." I don't know what to think about that. I mean, we all got to eat. Be careful. Because those appetites, those needs, those desires the devil will manipulate those to cause us to sin. If the devil tempted Christ with a legitimate need, he will tempt us over and over and over using both needs and evil desires. Now the Lord said in verse 4, but He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The verse that the Lord quoted was perfectly suited. Because you know what it did? It nailed just exactly what the temptation was. Here's what the Word says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What that that saying is this. God's Word is more important than what I need. Here's the thing we have to to understand, and this is why it's so important that we know God personally. God knows what we need, right? Doesn't He? He knows we want companionship in a a marriage. He knows we have physical needs. He knows we have to pay our mortgage. He knows we have to have a vehicle to drive. I, I know that maybe that's not a need, but in our society, He knows what our needs are. So by putting God's word above everything is an act of faith. Because we're saying, Lord, it's above my mortgage. It's above my food. It's above my family. It's above everything. And all those things under it, you will take care of because you are faithful and because you are good and you know I have needs. That's what Matthew 6 says, does it not? Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. You put God at the very top. The zenith, the pinnacle of your affection. That's what the Lord did. He said, not, I haven't eaten in 40 days, but you know what? I'm not, I'm not touching it. Your word's more important. God's word's more important. Sometimes we say things, but Lord, I'm hungry. I have to do it. Some of the things we say. But Lord, I need the money. I have, I have no choice. Yes, you do. You always have a choice to obey the Lord. Every time. And I do too. 100% of the time, you have a choice to obey the Lord. Every time. You always have that choice. But if I don't sell alcohol, I'll not make any money. That's something people said in Cambodia. They would own little shops. They would say that. I won't make any money if I don't sell alcohol. I can't do that. It might be dangerous. Some people say about going to the mission field. Yes, you can. You can do that. Well, God understands that I have to take care of myself. Or sometimes you see, I've seen in ad campaigns here recently on billboards, take care of yourself first. That, that's, a, that's the pretext for Abortion. God understands I have to take care of myself. No. God takes care of you. You love him and you serve him and you obey him and you follow his word. You let all the cares to him. If I tell the truth here, and this actually happened in my family, if I tell the truth here, I'll lose my job. How will I provide for my family? God's word is more important. Lose your job. I can't get saved. I'll have to end this relationship I'm in. Or how about this one? I'd do anything to get better from this illness. I, sh- I sure hope that the anything doesn't include walking away from the Lord, disobeying Him, not obeying His Word. Let me give you a, a, an illustration here, the, and this really happened. You all know that my wife has had a lot of health problems, challenges, and me, all through since our since the time we were in Cambodia. I mean, it goes back ten years. It's about the time Isaiah was born, somewhere around there. And you know, for the longest time, and still to this to this day, there's a lot of the health issues that she does not understand. She don't know why they're like that. But especially early on, when we were taking trips to Thailand to have things checked out and they would do scan after scan after test after test, a blood test, x-ray. I mean, everything. I mean, they, she's literally had like almost every test that you can have. She's had stress tests. She's had nuclear. She's had all kinds of stuff in Thailand. She's very frustrated and it's not wrong to want to want to be well in body. Is it not? It's not wrong. But you know what? She, she was going to the doctor They didn't have any answers. She went to this one endocrinologist in Thailand, a Thai lady. And the the endocrinologist had no answers. And she said this. At that moment, now follow, at that moment when my wife is frustrated, she's upset, she don't know what's wrong with her, she doesn't know why she's not well, at that low point, that point of weakness, just like you see here, she said, this is a medical doctor you might want to consider going and, and looking into Chinese medicine. That's, that sometimes helps people. You know what Chinese medicine is? It's demonic. But well, you see how the devil did? At that low point, when her health was, she's frustrated with a desire that's legitimate for health at that moment. The insertion of a temptation. Now, it didn't tempt us very long. Actually, not at all, ever. Because we both felt, I, I, I assume all, I have not, never asked her this directly. It's like, well, I'll die before I go to the devil to have good health. That, you see, that's the core of this temptation right here, right there. Lord, you know everything I need. I'll die before I disobey you. And I know that's easy to say, (laughs) but that's that's the ideal, right? The Lord said, here, I'll die of hunger before I disobey my father. The word of God, the word of God is enough to keep me alive. Number two, then the devil, verse five, taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. All right, hold your place here, and really quickly look at Psalm number 91. here's the core temptation here. The devil desired to destroy Jesus by misusing God's own word against him. The, listen now. The word of God is fair game for the devil to use, and he will use it. The portion that the devil quoted was in Psalm number 91, verse 11. I'll read it. It says this, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, if you look at verse 1, it's talking about he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. I will say of the Lord, verse 2, He is my refuge and my fortress. So this this psalm is talking about a man who trusts in the Lord, a man who's following God, a man who's doing the will of God. And Brother Joseph is right. The word anytime is not in this passage. But here the devil quotes it. Now look at what the devil does in verse 6 of Matthew 4. Cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest in any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He wanted to kill Jesus. And this is not the first time he tried this. Think, think Herod the Great going to Bethlehem, you know, sending the people to Bethlehem to kill the, the, the children under two years. It's the same thing. He wanted to kill Jesus. It would have ended God's ultimate purpose for sinners. And like I said, he, he tried to do it a number of times. But here's what we need to remember about this: is that the Lord's body was not His own to do with, it, do what He will, to do what He would with it. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine, verse nineteen, says that we are bought with a price. So, and He says we are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Not only that, in Romans fourteen. Romans 14 also says the same, basically the same thing. Here's what, here's what I want, want us to understand is about this. Is that our body is not ours to do whatever we want to with it. By virtue of God creating our body, and by virtue of Jesus dying for us, our whole man, our body is God's, period. That's why you can't do anything you want. You need to talk about you know, abortion. A woman says, I can do what I want with my own body. No, you can't you'll give an account to God. What do you believe abortion is right or wrong? You can't do what you want with your own body. And you certainly can't do it with somebody else's body in your womb, right? The devil is tempting Christ to commit suicide. But what does God say about suicide? Who in the Bible committed suicide? You have Abimelech, the son of Gideon, King Saul, Saul's armor bearer, Ahithophel, David's counselor, was the wicked one, Zimri, and then you have the most, the, the most prominent one, Judas Iscariot. You know, that's a company that we probably wouldn't want to be associated with. But here's what we have to understand. If the devil cannot kill you, does not have permission from God to kill you, he can tempt you to do it yourself, commit your own murder. Because remember, your body, your life is not yours. But what is obvious in this is is this. If you have thoughts or anyone has thoughts of suicide, you can know for sure that that does not come from God. No matter the depression, no matter the circumstance, there's only one person that ever tempted someone to kill themselves, and that was the devil. He is a murderer. And he is a liar. He wants you to commit murder for him. He did for Christ. He wanted to destroy Christ. So, just to set it out there, suicide, no thought of suicide is ever in the will of God, is ever, ever comes from God. The devil was the one. So if that thought ever comes in your mind or anybody else's mind, you can go to Matthew 4 and say the devil is the one that tempted Jesus to commit suicide. But notice Satan used the word of God against him. And he'll use the Bible, he'll manipulate the Bible to get people to sin because he knows the scripture well and here's what you have to remember, he quoted it. He didn't have to open the Bible, he quoted it. Now, here's what I want you to know about Psalm 91, which is where he quoted. If you take Psalm 91 in the words, the promise that the Lord would protect someone, you take it and you apply it to the godly man who's following after God, then you've applied it correctly. The promise of protection is given to the man who is serving God and living for God. That's the context. That's why I read verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 9 also says it. That's the context. But what the devil was seeking to do is urge Christ to do something upon a false understanding of the verse. By by injecting the subject of suicide into Psalm 91, even though it's not there. So he says, see, the the angels are going to take care of you. No big deal. So even if you jump, angels are going to take care of you. But that's not in the song. That's what the devil put in there. So what he did is he took something legitimate and he ripped it out of its context and made it stand alone and put it in a different context, suicide. And he said, see, you can do it. And the Lord, of course, nailed it because the Lord knew what he was doing is he was was trying to get the Lord Jesus to tempt the father. This is a, so what the devil did is he altered the context. This is a classic deception. Now, someone once said this, this is good. Now, you're going to have to listen to this and think through it. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. The cults love this. But if you do not read it, and you do not know what it says, you will be led astray by that word, by someone who injects something into it or takes it out of what it's out of the context in which it's written. That's what the devil did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He didn't really alter the text that much. He just injected something that wasn't there. But here's what I want you to understand before we get to the third one. The Lord Jesus immediately knew that it had been twisted. This is what I want you to get. He knew it immediately. Because, listen now, Jesus was knowledgeable and intelligent about the scriptures. If you want to say this, he was a Bible Christian. I know he wasn't a Christian. You know what I'm saying. He was a Bible bleeding person. He knew what the Bible said. He knew the context of Psalm 91 and he was not going to be duped by the devil twisting what it said because he knew what it said. He instantly recognized the error because he knew the Psalm himself. And the verse that he quoted proves that. Number three verse 8 again the devil takes him up into into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me then saith Jesus unto him get thee hence satan for it is written thou shalt worship the lord thy god and him only shalt thou serve let me read you a few verses here the devil shows his whole hand this is what he wanted from the beginning worship worship from god no less Psalm 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Listen, and before honor is humility. Psalm 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Notice, humility is first. 1 Peter 5:10: But the God of all grace... Who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle. You notice the suffering is first. The principle, suffering, then glory. The devil was trying to entice what is a natural inclination for, for us to avoid suffering. He said, Look, you can avoid pain and suffering and get to your end. It was already promised in the scriptures that Jesus would have glory. He knew that the the messianic kingdom, which is yet to come, was great glory. And furthermore, the devil had authority over these kingdoms. But here, we got to remember this. Every good gift, James 1.17, comes down from above, from the Father of lights, right? If God doesn't give a gift, I don't want it. Here the devil is promising a gift. His gift was evil. Furthermore, how powerful of a temptation, glory, honor, riches, wealth, power. You think about how many people, how, I just want to know, how many movie stars, how many politicians, how many famous people in this world have, and I mean quite literally, made a deal with the devil to get the very thing that the devil is promising. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You just got to bow down a minute, just a second, one time. It's just a single sin after all. We can, we can repent after. We can ask Jesus to forgive us. You know what this is? This is called presumption presumption to do something with undue confidence to do something knowing with the with the with the undue confidence that you could just ask God to forgive you after all you had to do jesus is that just one time bow the knee just just you can have everything skip the cross have the glory have everything you want just one time the lord said no just one little sin, no. A couple of other things I want to say. You know, some 38 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's the phrase without blemish. You know, when they had the lamb, the animal, the one that had to be offered had to be without blemish. That means it could have no flaw at all. So that means somebody had to go to that animal I hate this kind of stuff, but they had to take that animal and they had to look it over. It had to look, up, look open its fur, see if, see if any, it had any sores or any broken bones or any problem, crooked tail or missing something or whatever that animals, afflictions that animals might have. That animal had to be examined. And here, the temptation of Christ was just such an inspection. You see, without the temptation, Jesus is just innocent like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They had never sinned, but had also never been tested. But at the temptation of Christ, Jesus was tested in all points. He was no longer innocent. He was righteous. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, that it was the just, that means righteous, for the unjust. He wasn't just innocent of sin, but he had been proven to overcome sin. He was actively righteous. And without the temptation, I think you could argue that he couldn't have been fit to be the sacrifice because the sacrifice had to be inspected. And this is what the temptation did. Thus, he is fit to be our substitute. The last thing I want to say to you and I'm finished about the temptation is how many times do you see the word of God in the temptation? You know, some 35 times I counted in the Gospels, you'll see the phrase, it is written, where Jesus says, it is written. Or you'll see him refer to the scripture. And the vast majority of the time, you know what? The Lord is not looking at a Bible. The only, in fact, in, in the New Testament time, the only place they had Bibles were in the synagogues. Remember Jesus opened the scroll and read in the synagogue? That, that's because that's where they kept the Bibles, the scrolls. And three times in the temptation, the Lord says, It is written. You know what that means? The word of God was in his heart. You didn't have to look it up. It was in his heart. He had a verse memorized. He did have it memorized because he didn't have a scroll in front of him, apparently, in the wilderness. But not only was the verse memorized, which he quoted to the devil three times, but it was a part of him. Not only was it a part of him, But he not only memorized it, he could repeat it. It was a part of him, but also he was able to use the Word of God and apply the Word of God, think Psalm 91. He was able to apply it correctly when it was needed. So he had not, now hear me, he not only memorized the Bible, but he understood it too. And that's the challenge for you and for me. Because you remember, when the temptation came, the devil's speaking to him. What does he do? He quotes the Bible. And I want to encourage you, when you're, tempt- when you're tempted, it's not just you think about it, say it. Say it. But in order to do that, you and I must know the Bible. We must be a Bible Christian, not just someone who has a casual familiarity with the Bible, but you know what it says, you can say it, you understand the context, you know what you're talking about. That is what Jesus had. He was knowledgeable and intelligent, and he knew the Bible, and he was able to understand the way to use it. Bible Christian. And so when the temptation came, what did the Lord do? He answered verbally, audibly, with the written written Word of God quoted. You know what he did? He put the Word of God, as we've been studying in in our Sunday school class, he put the Word of God before him, and he showed it to the devil. I'm not saying there's anything magic in this, but the Word of God is a weapon to resist temptation from the devil. And by you saying it, you're merely mimicking what the Lord did when he was tempted. The Lord showed a great deal of confidence in the Word of God. He himself used it. So do you have that kind of knowledge and understanding and, 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 and the Word of God in your heart like this? So that when temptation comes, you can just, you you just you know how to use it. What good is look? What good is it? What good is being able to? Uh, what good is having an M sixteen, or an M two forty nine saw, or M two forty golf machine gun? What good is that if you know how to use it? Right? You have the weapon for the temptation, but the weapon is only effective if you know how to use it. And that's the challenge I have for you: is that we be Bible Christians so that we're able to resist temptation when it comes.